So I also have to give a special thanks. Um, you were blessed if you were here last Sunday night, and that's not arrogant of me because I was not here. And so you're like, wow, this preacher's talking up himself. No, so, so last Sunday night, um, Dan Cameron was here, and I had the, the privilege of watching it online. Um, and he did a great job as we are continuing our series through the woes. And, and Dan covered for us last week kind of the, the heart of what God was teaching that they missed. And he talked about how they were tithing all these even specific herbs, following it down, but they missed this matter of justice and mercy and faithfulness to God. And he did such a great job um, explaining biblically what it means to walk in a life of justice, mercy, and faithfulness to God. And if you would like to look those in, and if you miss any of the series that we're going through as we're working through the seven woes, do know that all of those are available for us on our website, and so you can go there and find them. I also apologize to those of you who are regular and you love the notes that you get in your insert normally. Um, I was on vacation this last week. I got home at about 7 o'clock last night. They print the bulletin before 7 o'clock last night, believe it or not. So my notes were not turned in on time, so that's why you have a blank piece of paper. But I do have a sermon prepared, and we'll have the notes for you um, on the screen tonight as we work through the next woe, the fifth woe here in Matthew chapter 23. Verses 25 and 26. Well, there are certain actors and actresses that, at least for me, no matter how many different movies or how many different roles they take, whether it's on TV shows or in film, for me, there's kind of certain people who, once they are in a role, they will forever be not just their name, but they will forever be that role. Kind of like whatever they're in, they're still this person, but they're in a different role. For example, one actor who is uh, no longer alive today, um, Christopher Reeve, to me, whenever I see a picture of Christopher Reeve, I think, hey, look, it's Superman, right? It doesn't matter what movie or TV show it's from. I, hey, look, it's, it's Superman. For those of you who are younger, this is the real Superman. None of that stuff they show today. In movie theaters, right? The real Superman, all right? And so he, he's tied in. It's hard to imagine him as not Superman, right? He is Superman. Another one for me, the, these next two are deep, right? It's hard to see Mark Hamill and not think, hey, look, it's Luke Skywalker, right there. It's Luke Skywalker. Or, of course, the next one as well with Carrie Fisher, it's Princess Leia, right? It's Princess Leia. It's hard to detach them from those roles that they've played. They played them so well and for so long. Another one in TV growing up, um, it's Carlton, right? You don't think of Will Smith as just the kid from Prince of Bel-Air, but you always think of Alfonso Robera. He's always Carlton, right? He doesn't escape that. It's not the host of America's Funniest Home Videos. It's Carlton still who happens to do that. And if you're younger and all these movie references have gone past you, may I present to you Harry Potter. Oh no, that's actually Daniel Radcliffe. But if you're under 30, you're like, oh, no, that's just, that's, that's Harry Potter. That's who that person is. See, these, these actors have played their parts so well that it's almost permanently etched in their mind the role that they've played. And if we were to see them, um, we, we think of not just who they are as a person, but we think of the role that they've played their, their lives, and for many of them, for a long time in their lives. See, this, this idea of acting is not new in our world. Now, of course, the, the medium in which we primarily partake of it, being in film and in television, is relatively new in the, the history of the world. But acting and acting on stages and entertaining audiences is centuries old. 
And it even took place, acting took place back in Jesus's time. There were actors who performed and put on performances. And one of the popular things that they did back then is in almost all of the different roles that they played, they would wear different masks. Different masks would be used to highlight certain roles, and sometimes it would be the same person or the same few people would play multiple characters, and they would just switch the masks throughout the show. And actually, in the Greek word, when it talked about the theater that they used, that these actors used who would put on different masks to fit in a certain occasion, that Greek word is now translated for us as a word we regularly use today called hypocrite. A hypocrite is a theater term originally for an actor putting on a mask, playing a role that's not really them. See, these actors, you might think Christopher Reeve was Superman, which is why his accident over 20 years ago now was so shocking when suddenly Superman was now confined in a wheelchair and couldn't move, right? Because we associated him with that role. It was so convincing that when it was taken out of it. And in the same idea... When the word now is used, as Jesus uses it throughout Matthew chapter 23 as hypocrite, as he's talking to people who have put on a mask to play a certain role, and they think that they can show everyone around them this role that they've played, and people will buy into the role and look at the role, but Jesus is saying, look, you can put on a mask, but it doesn't change who you really are. You can play a certain part, but it doesn't change who you really are. Are. And so our sermon tonight is called Unmasking the Hypocrites. Now, in case you're worried, I'm not going to call out any individuals in here tonight. I'm not going to name any of us. So if you're nervous tonight, just relax. You're here amongst friends. But this is for each of us to unmask the hypocrite in our own lives. As we think of the areas in our own lives that we put on a mask to put on a show so that other people would think we're one thing when inside we are actually something very different. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them to Matthew chapter 23? Matthew chapter 23, it's also in the insert that you received hopefully when you entered tonight. Matthew chapter 23, this is the fifth woe, Matthew 23 verses 25 and 26. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean." Jesus, for the fourth time here, calls the Pharisees hypocrites here in verse 25. He's done it four, um, three other times before, excuse me, and he'll do it a few more times. In fact, it's interesting with such a, a popular thing, the word hypocrite only happens in scripture in the New Testament 17 times, but 13 of them are in the book of Matthew. And most of them are either in what's known the Sermon on the Mount, which is a long sermon Jesus gave in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or in this address to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. And what he's talking about here is their ritual cleanliness that they would would so highly emphasize, and he's clearly using it as a metaphor. And so the Pharisees were people who cared a lot about the ritual purity of their time. Ritual purity. And so it wasn't just like, I'm sorry, mom and dad. This is a real, this, you could be like, listen, son, if you don't do the dishes thoroughly, Jesus is going to reject you. 
Do you see this? Jesus isn't talking about how well you load the dishwasher or not, unfortunately, all right? But it was a ritual thing that the dishes had to be clean enough, and that was their ritual purity, which then signified their standing before God. And he's talking about how they would clean the outside of the cup and the plate. And it's clearly not just a metaphor for pottery or for a utensil used when you eat or drink, but he's using it as a metaphor refer to their very selves. He's talking about the Pharisees, that they clean the outside of themselves, but inside, he says, inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self, self-indulgence. These would be shocking accusations to the Pharisees. These would be shocking. This word greed is a very strong word. It's, it's translated in some translations. It's not the, the common word greed that's used throughout the New Testament. And in some places, it's in fact, excuse me, in some places it's translated robbery. You're guilty of robbery, of excessive, of manipulation, of using people for your own. Robbery or pillaging other people. See, Jesus is accusing them of using their status as religious leaders, of actually using it for their own gain. So much so that he's saying, you're robbing people with how you have lived your life. Not only is he calling them robbers, but he's saying they are self-indulgent, that they have a lack of self-control, that whatever indulgences they have, they just give themselves over to it. See, this would be a shocking accusation because the Pharisees were the most strict followers of the Old Testament law. And so they would have been seen by many people as actually the most self-disciplined people. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, it it can be easier sometimes to follow out external rituals of religion than it is to follow the internal leading of God in someone's life. It's easy to clean something a certain way. It's a lot harder sometimes to obey God from the heart. And he's saying you have done one, but you actually don't have a lot of self-discipline because you've lacked the other. Their strict religious behavior didn't correlate with self-control. They're seen throughout as being prideful and arrogant. They come across oftentimes as unkind towards others and misleading people away from God and from what scripture would have to say. He's not saying just that their cup or their plate have a little sprinkling of greed or self-indulgence on them. Look at what he says. He says, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. That the Pharisees were overflowing with this. That on the outside, they wanted to look one way so that people would see a certain facade, a certain image, but inside there was something totally different. The Pharisees were hypocrites. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They were putting on a show for other people to see when inside they weren't at all what they pretended to be. So as we think tonight, I want to ask us one question, and then we're going to think about how to prevent hypocrisy. The first question I want us to ask tonight is, why is hypocrisy so dangerous? Why is this hypocrisy that Jesus talks so strongly about in the book of Matthew so dangerous? And the first reason it's so dangerous is hypocrisy is self-advancement. Hypocrisy is all about self-advancement. It is the essence of selfish behavior behind goes with hypocrisy. 
See, a hypocrite, when he looks at anything in life, and here when Jesus talks about the Pharisees, and when we think of a religious hypocrite, the question they ask about God, about Jesus, about scriptures, about anything, is ultimately the question, now what does this benefit me? What do I get out of this? Would I look better if I did this? Would going to this occasion actually help me in front of other people? Would this help me in any way? Does this just benefit me or is this just for myself? See, this, this idea of self-advancement, that the Pharisees were so consumed with how they looked and presented themselves before others that they were guilty of hypocrisy. See, it leads to the ultimate question, what are we valuing? Are we thinking about ultimately in life what we can do for God or what God can do for us? See, the Pharisees were simply thinking of a relationship with God as, all right, God, just give me everything. What can God do for me? And I'm going to use as much as that. And then I'm going to put on this show on the outside, whatever helps me put on a show. Hypocrisy is all about advancing our own causes and our own interests. When I think of one of, to me, the biggest hypocrites, at least when I think of about 10 or 15 years ago in, in the world and who I would have thought of right away if you would have said, who's the biggest hypocrite in the world? For me, it was someone who I grew up, especially in high school and throughout college, he would have been someone who I would have said is one of my heroes. And his name is Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Now, lots of you know the story of Lance Armstrong. He got cancer in the mid-90s, was nearly dead, had to go through chemotherapy. Two years later, in 1999, he started the Tour de France and ended up winning it. It's the biggest cycling event in the world. He went on to win seven straight Tour de France's. And I loved Lance Armstrong. How many of you had the yellow Livestrong bracelets? Oh, come on. I'm not the only one. Oh, are you kidding me? Okay, a few people are, see, this is how we're, we're like, I don't want to admit it now, but yeah, I maybe we're embarrassed even to admit, right, there's one guy proud in the back. Thank you, thank you. All right, we can be proud together. We, we, we loved Lance Armstrong. I particularly love Lance Armstrong because I grew up as a cyclist. I raced bikes. That's what I did in junior high and in high school and in college. And he was like our hero. If only one day we could be like him. And suddenly rumors started to come out. And then there was the famous interview about, I think, seven or eight years ago on Oprah, where he admitted that for his whole career was built on a lie, that he had doped and he had cheated his entire career from the early 90s all the way through the whole thing for almost 20 years. He had doped the whole way and that none of what he had actually done was valid. Everything he had put on was a show. And why did he do it? Why did he not care? Why did he put on this front for other people? Because he thought, hey, this benefits me. This helps me out, right? This helps me win the race. This furthers my career, and it's whatever I can do. And hypocrisy turns religion into a self-interest on how can it help me get what I want. Not only is hypocrisy self-advancement, another reason hypocrisy is so dangerous is hypocrisy is self-deceiving. Hypocrisy is self-deceiving. See, the Pharisees were undoubtedly shocked at what Jesus had claimed right here. They would have been shocked that Jesus has said, on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You just present the outside of the cup is clean, the inside is rotten. 
they didn't realize what they were doing. It doesn't seem like their hypocrisy was a conscious decision either amongst themselves to try and trick others or even to trick themselves. They had actually deceived themselves more than anyone else. They thought they were fine. See, the most dangerous hypocrite is the one who doesn't think they are a hypocrite, who thinks that, in fact, they have it all together. There's no issues in my life. Everything's perfect. Look around me. I got nothing to solve. I got nothing to work on. Read the Bible. Why would I read the Bible? I do it all already. You get these things where the Pharisees interact with Jesus and Jesus is challenges them on things and they go, yeah, we got that down. We do the whole law. What else is new? Give me something I can work on, Jesus. They've deceived themselves into thinking that they have it all down. An example when I think of someone who's self-deceived in scripture, who's bought into this self-deception is Samson. Do you remember the story of Samson from the Old Testament? He was a judge set aside before birth by God, that he would be the great ruler over Israel. And throughout Samson's entire adult life, we know him for his great strength as he has great feats and he leads Israel through battles, but it's all his own pride and ego at work. And so finally, near the end of his story, there's this tragic verse in the book of Judges, I believe it's in chapter 16, where it says that God left Samson and Samson gets up to fight the Philistines and it says this, and Samson did not realize that the Lord had left him. He didn't even realize it because he had deceived himself into thinking that everything he could do, everything that he was to people was because of himself, not because of what God had given him or because of God's power. He had deceived himself, ultimately not other people. The third reason that hypocrisy can be so dangerous is hypocrisy is ultimately self-defeating. Hypocrisy is self-defeating. If we were to live a life filled with just hypocrisy, putting up fronts so that other people would look at us and say, wow, good people, nice, well-behaved, respectable people I would want to be friends with. All those things are fine and good. But ultimately, a hypocrite could easily live that way. A lot of people could think that about them. But ultimately, hypocrisy has no long-term value beyond this life. Its value is empty and has no meaning. The hypocrite, at the end of his life, the only person the hypocrite fools is themselves. The only person the hypocrite ultimately fools is themselves. Because guess what? They're not fooling God. He doesn't look down at the hypocrite and see the religious things that happen that are done not for the right reasons, but done for wrong motives to be seen by others, to be upfront. God doesn't look down on that and he's not confused at the motivation of your heart. See, hypocrites can flow through life and hypocrites can flow through church so easily because as you've seen, if you've walked through this series, Jesus doesn't so much attack the Pharisees' actions. He's not saying you shouldn't do this or you should have done this. But what he's saying is you do this, but you do it for the wrong reasons. And there's people who live in our churches, maybe some of us here tonight, who have done a lot of religious things in our lives and all of it has been for the wrong reason and the wrong purpose, just like the Pharisees. And ultimately, if that's true of us, the only person that we're fooling is ourselves.
And so if, if hypocrisy is this road that is selfish, it deceives us, and it actually defeats us, how can we prevent hypocrisy in our lives? How can we prevent hypocrisy? So three ways for us tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, three ways to prevent hypocrisy in our own life. The first is to value authenticity over respectability. To value authenticity over respectability. See, the Pharisees loved looking the part. They loved having the respect of other people. To them, if you would have probably asked them one of their most important things, maybe they wouldn't have even realized it. But one of the most important things for them was that people looked at them and respected them. That they had distinguished honors and titles. They were looked at well by others. And that's a natural thing. I think for many of us, it's a natural desire of our hearts is we want people to respect us. No one wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I hope I get a lot of disrespect today. No one thinks that. But oftentimes what happens is we can come to a place like this and that natural desire for respect means, you know what? If I admit what I really think about sometimes, if I admit some of my struggles to my Christian friends, they're not going to respect me the way I want to be respected. I know what to say. I know what front to put up. And so I'm going to actually want to look respectable rather than actually be real about some of the struggles and the issues and the things that I'm going through. It's easy sometimes to look the part. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of doing this specifically in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, he starts off in verse 1. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's not beware of practicing your righteousness or even being righteous in front of other people. But why? Why were they being righteous in order to be seen by them? And Jesus gives three examples of this and gives the counter to how they should have acted instead. Verse 2, he says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Apparently, the Pharisees had made a show of what was a good spiritual practice, of giving to others, but they had turned it into a show so others knew they were that they knew that they were giving, that they were generous. There's nothing wrong with being generous. That's what God calls us to do. But they were doing it so that other people would see what they were doing. Jesus continues, not just with giving, but now with prayer. He says this in verses 5 to 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This isn't saying that it's wrong for Christians to pray together. But it is wrong if you come to a prayer meeting at any church just so that other people can hear how great you sound when you talk to God. It's the right action done again for the wrong reason. 
He goes after them for another spiritual discipline on fasting. In chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, he says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, all of these things follow a similar pattern, that the Pharisees were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. They were looking to be respected by other people. They wanted the respect of others. They were giving, they were praying, they were fasting, but they were doing it not so that God would see them, but so that other people would take notice of their religiosity. They were so concerned about the respect of others that their hearts were not authentic before God and before other people. See, the solution wasn't to stop giving, praying, or fasting, but the solution was to correct their hearts. Jesus is saying you can look and do all the right things of a religious person, but not be the real thing. You can look and do all the right things of a Christian person, but not have the real Christianity that Jesus offers to us. You can go to church, you can give your money, you can read your Bible, you can lift your hands when you're saying, you can pray out loud, you can do all those things, but they can't save you if that's what you think is coming up to save you. See, it's easy to put on fakes and to try and get through. See, I remember uh, this was, I believe, last year in January that this story made its way through the news, and I thought this couldn't have happened. And then I looked up the video, and indeed it was true, that there was a, a comedian who was in New Orleans for a show, and he, went to, uh, he went, wanted to go to the basketball game that night, the New Orleans Pelicans, which is an awesome name for a basketball team. Um, he decided to go to their game. And so he got the exact warm-up outfit that the New Orleans Pelicans wear every time they go to warm up before the basketball game. And then he bought himself a courtside seat. So he's sitting, he was sitting right behind where they shoot and where they warm up at the baskets. And so it's a really shaky video. So I just have a couple still shots of us. He goes out while all the NBA players are out there warming up 10, 15 minutes before the game. He walks out onto the court and just starts stretching. And the video, you can see him. He's like shaking his arms. And he, he's, I think, tr trying to be funny. And he's like doing stretches. I'm like, I don't know. Does that stretch anything or does that just look silly, right? Like he's kind of doing funny things. And then there's a ball boy who doesn't know any better, right? Like here, here's this guy. So he passes him the ball and he has the audacity to take a dribble and to start shooting with all the other NBA players because he looks the part, right? He's got the warm up on and everything. So suddenly he, he takes a shot and the security guard's like, that's not an NBA shot right there. <laughs> Right? Like you can look the part, but eventually you'll get found out. And immediately after this officer brings him down and the video ends, I love it, the officer like leans forward and sticks his finger out right in his face. And that's when the video of this quick 30 seconds or so ends. See, he looked the part. He was going through the motions of the part, but he didn't have the real thing. He wasn't an NBA player. See, looking like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Going through the motions of Christianity doesn't make you a Christian. You can wear the right things. You can have all the right motions, know what to say, when to say it. That doesn't make you a Christian. See, the church needs to be a place 
where we need to stop worrying so much about respectability, but worrying about authenticity with others. I would challenge you that if, if at church, church is more than just showing up, worshiping God through music and his word and preaching and listening together, those are important parts of it. But the church is to meant to be a community, a place where we're known and where others know us, where people see not just the good side of us, but they see some of our hurts and our struggles and our faults as well. See, if we show up to church and we act like we don't have any real problems, how do we expect to have real change happen in our lives? If we show up and we don't, we're like, oh, I don't have any real issues. I'm just going to show up and fake it. How could God possibly work in our lives in a real way if we're not even going to be real with ourselves? If we're not going to be real with the people around us? Church is a place that we don't need to pretend to be perfect. You don't need to pretend to be perfect to be here. I'm not perfect by no means. I know all the pastors on staff here. None of them are perfect. I'll tell you a lot about it if you want more details. Send me an email. We can meet. None of us here are perfect. We're not here to put on a show to be respectable. But we can be real that we have struggles, that God is still working in each and every one of us. We haven't yet arrived. We don't have to act like we always have it all together. The second way to prevent hypocrisy is to focus on your own shortcomings, to focus on your own shortcomings, the areas that you fall short, the areas where you don't quite add up, the, the places in your life that you're not really proud of how you're performing or what's going on there. See, the hypocrite is constantly looking at other people's shortcomings. They're pointing the finger at others. And to prevent that, we need to look not at other shortcomings, but at our own. Jesus addresses this again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where he says this. It's a well-known passage. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, we can see other people's faults so clearly, can't we? It's so easy to point out the issues and problems that other people have, but it's sometimes a lot harder for us to see our own. Every single one of us needs correction for the spiritual vision that God has given us, to see not just others, but to see ourselves. See, I don't know about you, but I remember when I realized that I needed glasses. It was kind of a traumatizing experience for me. I was young. I still remember I was in fourth grade in Mrs. Ayala's class, and I was sitting in the back, and now I, I, I was an interesting kid because I did very well in school, and I got in trouble a lot in school for talking. Can you imagine that? Who would have known I would have been a pastor someday, right? Like, I never stopped talking in class. And so I remember I was sitting in the back row, nudging a friend, talking to my friend when Mrs. Ayala called on me, Michael, stop talking. Sorry, Mrs. Ayala. She starts teaching and I do it again. You need to stay, this time, I think the third time, I was like, you need to stay behind at recess and explain to me why you're not, why, why you keep talking. So I have to stay behind at recess. And she goes, why do you keep talking when I just tell you not to talk? And I had to kind of put my hand, I'm like, well, I can't read the spelling words on the board. I was sitting in the back row and my vision was going and I couldn't read the words anymore. 
And no fourth grader whose favorite activities are PE and lunch wants to admit that they need glasses, right? You're like, oh no, this is the death of cool and athletics right here. And what, what is happening to me? But you have to admit it. And I had to go to the doctor and realize that I was nearsighted, that I could see things close, but I couldn't see things far away. Anyone else here nearsighted? Some of my friends, nearsighted friends. All right. That we can read up close, but things that are far away, like I can see I'm going fast down the highway. I don't really know where I'm going, but, but here I go. Others of us perhaps are farsighted. Anyone in here farsighted where you can see things far away, nice and clear, but things up close become blurry. I think all of us have a spiritual tendency to be spiritually far-sighted. That when we look out, oh, man, let me tell you about the problems of my family. You want to know about my spouse's problems, my kids? Want to know about my mom and dad? Well, I'll tell you about their messed up lives. How about my best friend, my roommate, my boss? I can tell you all about all the issues they have. What's going on in your life? Not much. I'm doing Okay. See, we, we are far-sighted. We, we spiritually can see the issues in so many other people, but we often are blind to the problems in our own heart. See, I read this week, again, the famous psalm of, Math, of, of excuse me, Matthew, of Psalm 51, when David confessed his sin of adultery and murder before God. And what struck me as I was reading it again this week is the, the personal focus that David has on himself. When, when our sin truly breaks us for how it should, when we get a spiritual vision, not for others' brokenness, but for our own brokenness, we stop worrying so much about other people and we start seeing our own shortcomings. See, David says, create in me a pure heart. He says that he knows his transgressions and his sin is always before him. Suddenly his sin is clearly evidenced to him and it's not so much about other people any longer, but it's on him. And for us to, 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 keep, excuse me, to keep hypocrisy out of our hearts, we need to focus not so much on the sin of others, but we need to turn and focus on our own lives. To ask God to reveal the depths of our own sin, our own depravity. That we would no longer be spiritually far-sighted, but we would see ourselves as God sees us. The third way to prevent hypocrisy in our own lives the third way is to understand how Christianity works. To understand how Christianity really works. See, I think some people are spiritually hypocrites, and it's not due to any bad intentions. It's not because it's what they've wanted, but they simply don't know any different. And so if you're here tonight, and, and this is true of you, I hope that you would, this third point would really help you to understand how Christianity works. See, what is the solution to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that Jesus offered them? He gives it to them in verse 26. He says, you blind Pharisee, what's the solution? First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that then the outside also may be clean. See, it's not to stop worrying about the outside, but it's clean the inside up first. He's not saying that you should just have a personal piety that ignores other people, but that justice and mercy and faithfulness would be true in your life, not to earn something, not to be respectable before others, but that it's an inner transformation that drives external behaviors that other people see. See, rather than focus our lives on what other people see, we need to focus our lives on what God sees. 
Rather than focusing on what other people see, focus our lives on what God sees. So you can put on a show for other people, no matter how close they are, you can put on a show, but you can't put on a show before God. God doesn't just see your external behaviors, he sees your heart. And he knows why you do what you do. That we need to be cleansed. But the reality is that scripture teaches us that this cleansing is not just some ritual that we need to go through. It's not some cleaning of the cup or the plate. But we need cleansing that we can't bring, but a cleansing that only Jesus can bring. 1 John 1.9 sums it up so clear. It says this, If we confess our sin to God, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and get this and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to cleanse the inside of who we are. See, sometimes I feel like people may fall into hypocrisy because they think that if they do enough things, that that will earn them a standing and a status before God. Maybe you're here tonight because it's part of what you do to earn a standing before God. You're not here to impress other people. You're not here to impress yourself. You're here to impress God. I want you to know that that change that you want to bring about in your life isn't anything that you can bring about. It's only something that God brings about inside of you. It happens not when you do the right things, when you say the right things, when you go to church enough, but when you confess your sin to God. When you admit your need for a savior, your need for help, and you understand that when you do that, at that very moment, God is faithful and will forgive you of your sins. And that's how your heart can be cleansed. See, the root of hypocrisy is thinking ultimately that what we do achieves salvation. When the root of Christianity understands it's all of what Jesus has done for us, that we have salvation. And when we understand how Christianity works, that it's not some show, that it's not the exterior that matters, but it's the inner transformation. Not that we bring about through our own effort, but the inner transformation that can only be brought about from Jesus. That that's how hypocrisy is defeated when we see our need for Jesus, our need for forgiveness, and we ask him to come and to cleanse our hearts. God, we do thank you that forgiveness And that the cleansing that you provide is available for all of us. That all we have to do is to confess our sin. God, if there's anyone here tonight who, as we've thought about this idea of putting on a show, of being respectable to others, but inwardly are denying what we're really struggling with. God, may we take even a few moments in the quietness right now to confess that to you. God, if there's anyone here tonight who's trying to to win their way to you through the religious actions, would you implant on their heart tonight their need for you, for an inner transformation that will change them thoroughly, not just an external behavior so they're seen by others or seen by you. God, we thank you for the change that Jesus brings in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.